I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. Yeah, so how's things? Yeah, good, good. Um, Interesting times that we live in. Mm, <laughs> just say Yeah, just um, seeing what's emerging, really, um, as a result of the last year, year and a bit, I guess. Yeah. Mm. It's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting seeing what's happening in organisations and what's coming alive and what's dying or the confusion. Um, there's so much going on, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously, um, sort of invited you to sort of come along and just really have a sort of a conversation that I wanted to um, very much put the word out about um, you and about Low Spark, having seen the... Uh, you know, the presentation that you did um, at yeah. the Future Economy Network, and I'll just give that a bit of a shout out as well here. Um, and the, the whole idea really being just kind of exploring this whole um, kind of new paradigm, I guess, for how we communicate in work with other mm. stakeholders, with customers, with our staff, you know, just as human beings kind of interacting in this whole different space. And I just thought it could be fascinating. It's one of those kind of topics that's really resonating with the people who listen to my podcast and I get yeah. a lot of feedback about the whole kind of human thing and I, I tend to sort of trade on the word mindfulness and I know that's a big thing I want to explore that with you and because I know it's a mm-hmm. thing for you as well yeah um, but but really I just thought it would be a really nice opportunity to kind of um, sort of learn a little bit from you about kind of the work you're doing um, and obviously give Low Spark and yourself a bit of a shout out here because I know people will want to be connecting with you as a result of this. Um, and just thought really kind of explore, I've got no specific kind of sort of interview questions as such, but I just really mm. wanted to kind of chat through some of the topics that you kind of highlighted in your presentation, which um, yeah. I know are really pertinent and timely right now, but at the same time, I think you can give a slightly different perspective than the way I talk about these things, um, mm. which I know, you know, for the people who listen to my podcast, are going to be, it's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Well, do you want to kind of just ask me, so let me turn that phone off as it's going to keep pinging. Yeah, keeping it really kind of informal, yeah. really. And I think yeah. um, I think one of the things, obviously, that's really useful is to get a little bit of a, a sort of a background context, I guess, as to kind of really who you are, if people don't know you and kind of find out really what sort of brought you literally to here today um, in terms of a little bit about your journey. Mm, um, yeah. So, yeah, kind of where did it all begin and what kind of drew mm-hmm. you into this space? Okay, so I think it it began when I left university many years ago now, and um, I realised having a kind of a, a a business and commercial degree that that I didn't really want to go and work for organisations that were just for profit. I, I almost I just could not see the point. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. And I decided that I was going to use my skills and go and work for organisations that were doing great things in the world that needed help in terms of how they were organised and their ways of working and that kind of stuff. So I spent my early career kind of really trying to find the right place. And it was impossible, actually, to find the right place. So I worked in charities, um, particularly overseas development, um, worked for local authorities, worked for... um, further education like all organizations that um have more values or have more purpose in their work than making money but the thing that i really missed was the commercial side i couldn't you know i've I've kind of 
commercially trained. Um, I come from a long line of female entrepreneurs. You know, I just miss that commercial side. And I know that point, I think social enterprises didn't really exist. So it was, um, and I stumbled across Triodos, Triodos Bank, um, which was almost 20 years ago now. And kind of thought, wow, wow, suddenly there's an organization that has really strong purpose and values and, and is also a commercial organization. It's making its own money, but it's not putting that as the first priority. Um, so I was really interested and curious. So I started working for Triodos um, as their HR manager, I think it was back then, and really, um, really started to understand how you bring those kind of deep values and purpose in an organization alive on the inside. So what does that look like? How do the ways of working, you know, how do you do that um, with all the commercial stuff as well? So that really kind of, that's where it all started. And, and then I, I, I left there to go and cut my teeth in the world of mainstream finance because I wanted to really understand how that whole system, how that, that environment and the big corporate money machine works. I really wanted to understand that from the inside. So I spent quite a few years doing, doing that before returning to Triodos and then I was there head of HR for seven years, the, the last stint I did. And so that really, you know, again, it's about um, really bringing the purpose and the ways of working and compassion alive on the inside of an organization. Um, and then I left Triodos uh, just over three years ago and set up LoafSpark, uh, really to, to look at all of that. Um, and then whilst I was transitioning I also started a master's in psychological therapies and mindful approaches. So um, I've, and I'm still finishing it now. So I've spent quite, you know, the last kind of four or five years really studying mindfulness and compassion and um, very much from a Buddhist psychology perspective, but I'm translating that into the commercial world in my research project. So what does compassion look like in organizations and does it make any difference actually? Does it make any difference to what ultimately customers experience? So, you know, we change stuff from the inside, right? So, so people on the outside can experience that when they're interacting with us. So that's, and that's a question that I've held for quite a long time actually is, um, how do we become more compassionate as organizations and and almost proving that that is a that is a, an effective way of being and way of working um, particularly as I mean a lot of my work is in still in mainstream finance space and particularly you know in worlds that have really built up around competition ego winner takes all you know, how do we kind of create more compassion in those types of environments? Um, and ultimately what they're doing in the world so they can start to question what they're doing in the world as well. Well, that if that's not a crusade, I don't think <laughs> I, I know what a crusade is. <laughs> that it's just one of those things that it's, it's almost too big, isn't it? And I think what you're doing here, and I, I want to pick up on something that you've said there, which I think is, is potentially really fascinating, is this whole idea about this word inside. I think a lot of people almost forget that to be able to do this transition, as you said, there's lots of industries where, you know, the old paradigms, the old cultures very much still prevalent, not just existing, but it's just, this is the way we do business. Mm. So, if we talk about the kind of inside and take that right back to self and mm. say, 
okay? This can only start from actually inside me as a human being, me as an individual. It isn't about the business. It's not about the organization. It's actually about me, inside mm. me. Am I driven by this? Does mm. this really matter to me? Because unless I, me, ego self, is actually bought into this, mm. the business is only kind of a product of multiples of me. So yeah. it doesn't actually exist really as an entity. Well, it does on paper in a company's house, but mm. it's not actually a thing. And I think lots of people kind of get lost that, oh, our business or our brand is, is, is kind of ecologically sound, we're sustainable, we've got all these mm. great principles. Well, no, but the business is made up of, of selves, of egos, mm. of people. <laughs> So unless you begin there, unless I've got you wrong here, unless you begin there, this thing just is never going to fly. Absolutely. And that is where it starts. So it starts with me. So a lot of my work is um, is with leaders for that very reason. Um, they have the biggest influence on a culture of an organisation. So I think research shows that 30 percent of the culture is influenced by them and their style and um, how others experience them so that starts with me you know that's where it all begins and whether that's um, whether I'm working with a leader that's um, developing a, a deep deeper connection to where they work and the purpose of where they work or whether it's about um, developing a deeper connection to compassion and bringing more compassion to their work they have to start with themselves right because you know compassion's like um it's like a bucket we can fill up and you know when we're kind of more full we have it to give an experience for others to experience it in us but if we're empty if we're running on empty it doesn't come alive and um and i think there's there's a couple of um things to to consider in that mix as well and one is that like stress overwork stress is an inhibitor of compassion and this is what a lot of the research is showing um so what what's happening about that in our organizations and and also mindfulness is a facilitator of compassion um and i know there's a lot in the corporate space around um you know kind of well-being and mindfulness and you know i think my own view is that a lot of that is just sticking a plaster over a more systemic issue and I am a trained mindfulness teacher you know I did two years at Exeter University to train to be able to teach mindfulness and and I now purposely do not teach it in the corporate world because I do not believe it's the way forward um, I think it's a sticky plaster um, and I think really what we have to get to within organizations is really questioning this need for overwork, overload, which also comes back to self, right? So it's about, you know, what is it in me that either buys into that culture or is expecting that of myself and others? And, and I think there's a lot um, in leadership around fear, being driven by fear, fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of not enough. Um, you know, there's a hell of a lot there around that that drives our behaviour, but we don't always see that. We're not always conscious of that, are we? So, so a lot of my work is unpicking some of that and really trying to help leaders bring more consciousness to actually what are their drivers and where, you know, where is that coming from and being much more aware of their, their mindsets and how they translate into their interactions and connections with others. Um, 
Um, so I do kind of work on that leadership level, but I also do work on the kind of cultural level as well. So working with um, the teams that would typically be um, responsible for the culture of an organization. And, and I think I, in the um, session I did, I shared a um, quite a simple picture of, a, of kind of like a systems framework. And, you know, you've got that kind of mindset level, which is drives everything, the me. But then there's also stuff, you know, typically organizations do stuff around the kind of system process structure framework level. Um, so it's kind of it's tweaking both of those, you know, it's kind of working in one, working in both of those layers and the relationship one in between to kind of say, well, what, you know, what do we tweak or what do we start? Because because they both impact each other. I don't, it's not, it's, it's all a bit messy, I suppose, this work. It's not neat and it's not um, linear. You don't start somewhere and you've got steps to, and you, hooray, you suddenly arrived. It's it's very messy and um, non-linear and, um, and holding that actually for organisations is quite important, I think, that that's okay. Mm. Over the years, I mean, when I kind of think back, almost to the sort of person that you're describing there, um, who I think, you know, in terms of a, a business person um, is almost, I mean, if, if you think back sort of 10, 20 years, almost is a, a sort of a unique beast because this is somebody who almost has to have the confidence to stand out and away from the pack and away from what we might term the norm, yeah. because the norm is about rewarding hard work, long hours, overcommitment, oh yes, I can cope with a, and I'll use the word, a busy working lifestyle and yeah. almost kind of rewarding that and seeing that as the positive rather yeah. than what you're describing here, which is a much more, I'll use the word mindful, but actually what I mean is a conscious way of working where you're just mm -hmm. very aware of the moment, the impact you're having, and yes, the end results, but actually almost standing out as an individual. Do, are, you, are you seeing a sort of a transition between you know, what would have been somebody who was quite maverick, really, in an organisation. I've got one person in mind from way, way back who really stood out. And, you know, you could almost really admire that, the confidence of being able to do that in a very kind of ego-driven, results-driven organisation. Yeah. Really stood firm and he was very, very committed. There are more people like that now. It's a more acceptable thing now, isn't it? It is, it is. And I, there's a lot there around vulnerabilities and there's being able to be vulnerable as a leader and explore yourself. And that's, there's more um, agency to do that now than there ever used to be, which is, a, which is brilliant. And it's almost expected, you know, particularly at senior levels that you will explore yourself and your drivers and your motivation and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's this, um, there's a real switch as well going on around. So you described um, those are almost external rewards. So, you know, people working for external rewards and um, like pay and benefits and flexible working and all of that stuff that a good employer would do. Um, but actually I think what the shift that I'm seeing, which is really only just beginning is how do we motivate people by using intrinsic means? So how, how do we shift that? So um, people really have a strong connection here and they almost see some of their values mirrored in the organization they're working at. And it's almost, it's creating something that's bigger than the walls of the organization. You know, it's kind of, it's creating something which, um, I don't want to use the word movement, but it's uh, it's getting on board with some of that stuff and kind of saying, well, this is how, you know, this is how I see the world and this is how I see myself in it. And my work is part of that, too. 
and um so it, it's it's doing that shift and i think you're right there's there's more allowance there's more um willingness to explore that and all, almost the what i when i see that happen in individuals it's almost there's suddenly a, a trust in that it will work and there's a trust in if if we create the right conditions then the results come yeah rather than we just need to create the right results and we just need to do 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 and spin plates and spin plates to, to get those it's almost striving one striving for those it's like almost stepping back and he's like pausing and kind of saying right what conditions do we need which is going to bring that about and how do we do that by looking after our people and our customers and our investors and doing in and the environment and the wider communities as well how do we kind of bring that all into the mix mm, i yeah. love that word conditions that you've used it mm. is almost kind of really really emphasizing the relationship isn't it it becomes a conversation it's not an us and them it's not a hierarchy it's not a i talk to my boss it's almost like the word boss comes out of it it's like well, who, who wants to be bossed surely you want to be in an ecosystem where it doesn't necessarily have to be equal you know everybody has different experiences and wisdoms and skills and it's just you're almost kind of playing to everybody's strengths then rewarding those strengths and then it's almost like you then take on a personal accountability for being part of that, mm. that kind of, I guess, mix of stuff that happens, yeah. creates the conditions, by nature it creates a culture, and from that then you get these results, rather than this kind of hierarchical, old kind of industrial revolution kind of, yeah. yes, here's the boss, here yeah. are the workers, white collar, blue collar, blah, 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 all that very old school kind mm. of mentality and way of thinking, driven by the numbers whereas actually this feels like it's driven by relationships yeah it really is it really is and that idea of you know even that word boss sounds really kind of old paradigm doesn't it and yeah, i think there is also um it's not just about organizations suddenly developing a big heart and and saying right what you know we need to do things in this way because this is morally right or it's the right thing to do for society i think there's also um a commercial need there as well and you know to be very adaptable and flexible and to be able to respond quickly to changing environments and changing customer needs um we have to have to be getting hearing many voices in the organization i talk quite a lot about a few voices and many voices and creating the conditions where and those voices are heard and listened to and given responsibility for you know making the changes and having budgets and you know so stuff doesn't have to go up this hierarchy to make decisions and to slowly come back down again it's like well let's just do this stuff let's create greater trust and how do we do that because that's ultimately what it's about how do i trust you to make that decision with that ten thousand pounds budget you know so it's 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 kind of creating environments where it frees people there's kind of much more um a freeing but also a um them coming together in terms of community and there being that leader somewhere in the mix but generally i see them as kind of almost behind everyone so and it's just how i personally view leadership is is almost like kind of ser you're serving everyone and to enable them to do and be their best yeah it's not kind of for me it's not someone who's standing up at the front charging ahead uh, about them it's actually about everyone else and their job is really to get everyone else working as effectively as possible under a shared shared goal or meaning 
so yeah you're right it is about connection and relationships and you know will people follow you or not as a leader you know if you don't have the same level of hierarchy and status and desk to stamp your fist on so you know what and so people follow people they like and know and um and you can like someone and and not all I don't mean like as in kind of a sickly yes we always get on but you can respect and like someone and have and still have an open robust relationship but work with them too it sounds wonderful doesn't it I mean I think you know sort of you and I kind of discussing it like this it just it ticks so many boxes and yet there are people and I just as you were describing it there I was thinking oh I know somebody who I had a conversation that they will obviously remain nameless because it would be mean to name and shame but they were in a, a quite a traditional industry um, they were in a senior role. Um, in fact, they were the lead in this particular organisation. Um, I won't even say the job title that they had, but it was a significant job title. And when I broached the subject, we were talking about internal communications and culture, and I broached the subject of, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if we were to invert, so turn upside down, the company structure in terms of who reports to who? So instead of having you at the top there and having this lovely little pyramid of all these people working underneath you, let's invert it because you're saying you support your people. Let's turn it upside down. Let's have everybody who's on the front line at the top of the tree and then you can be right at the bottom of the tree supporting everybody. And the look of horror on that person's face, I thought to me, just summed up the mm. fundamental challenge that I think we've got in pre <coughs> preaching this story. Because when he looked at it, he said, but I'm going to lose control. Yes, exactly. And that to me yeah. everything about the biggest barrier that we've got here is its yeah. ego. Absolutely. Not ego in an I'm better than you kind of way, but just ego as in, yeah, but people won't recognise me. They won't treat me seriously. If I'm at the bottom of the tree, mm. I spent all this time working up the, up the ladder. And now you're telling me I've got to be at the bottom supporting everyone. They won't listen to me. Mm. It's got to be a big problem here, hasn't it? In a uh, yeah, I think that's from what I see in my work is that is one of the biggest blockers is that um, the people being best served by the old paradigm tend to be ones at the top, particularly the very top. And, you know, if they've got the most to, well, in their eyes, the most to lose, you know, through, um, through changing their organisations and... Oh, ultimately they've got the, the most to gain but it's a scary vulnerable place to be yeah and they've got where they are through um through understanding and working within the old paradigm so what 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 do you do if you let go of all of that what do i do you know where do, what do i do now i don't i don't understand so there's a lot of um requires so much vulnerability in in that kind of top person and, and their immediate team to be able to work through that and you've got to you know you've got to work with the ones that are ready or willing to have a conversation around it and I think there's a lot there about confidence and confidence in you know the ability to be a leader without a title or the confidence to be you know a leader authentically lead from your own heart as opposed to leading with a job title and that's that's the switch. And I, you know, I do believe that even in the organisations that have that at the top, there's still an opportunity really to kind of say, well, they won't be there forever. 
So, you know, who's coming up and is it possible to even work with some of the layers which are coming up? So once they get to that place, they're ready to have that conversation. Mm. So do you, do you see this then kind of manifesting in reality in the short to medium term in organisations, I guess, that are kind of younger, more immature in terms of their structures and their processes? I'm talking about, you know, maybe a well-funded startup, for example, mm. where it is a much flatter structure because of the, you know, coming out the other side of the pandemic, they're probably recruiting people who work completely remotely, maybe on the other side of the planet. So there isn't that kind of sort of I don't know, legacy kind of structure that's going to be an inhibitor. So they do have the opportunity to kind of, you know, be a bit more innovative, a bit more fleet of foot. W would you imagine it being sort of that sort of younger, hungrier kind of environment that's going to see this happen faster than maybe a more traditional place? So I think, yes, yeah, so it, it was, yeah, for sure it would happen. It would happen faster in those kinds of environments because there's, there's just less of them. You know, I think there's less bureaucracy, there's less hierarchy. Um, there's, it's easier to turn a, an organ, a younger or a smaller organization around for those reasons. But I'm also seeing it with large organizations wanting to go on that journey and really challenging journey. So. I'm currently working with one of the high street banks and they've got 70,000 people around the UK and around the world. And, um, you know, they're, they're so up for doing this work, but it's so challenging. And they describe it as turning an oil tanker around. Um, and so, and they, you know, and with all the kind of short term, I think that short term pressures that's put on the PLC world as well. It's, you know, it's quite a brave move to say, well, we're going to do something which requires much more longer term thinking and is much more related to our impact on the planet and the world. And, and what does that look like in terms of our leadership and our style and, and how we we're able to hold some of the their challenges without needing to fix all the times, you know, sort and fix and it's, it's quite incredible to see some of the transition happening, but it's, it's going to take a long time, you know, it's not going to happen in a month, it's not going to happen in a year, it's, it's going to take a good few years to, to turn an old tanker around. So I think it's more about where is the energy, where's the energy to do it, and that can, that can be anywhere. And, you know, it's kind of, it's just grabbing those opportunities. And I think particularly with the larger organisations, you can imagine the impact that they can have by turning around and also the role modelling for the rest of their industry that actually this stuff is possible, that, you know, they, they'll tend to all follow suit. So you could, you know, it's kind of like knocking dominoes down. You know, once the first one is done, it's the others will follow. I've no doubt about that. But it's it's that being brave and, and kind of standing around and saying, actually, this is important in the world and we're going to try it at least. Mm. Yeah. I know a lot of people who um, sort of you know, follow my podcast and um, you know, I'm very grateful for the, the regular listeners and people who contribute quite a lot. I know a lot of them aren't necessarily the top decision makers in an organization quite a few will be working in larger organizations do you do you see a pattern because a, a lot of people who have connected with me are kind of a, of a like mind so they kind of get what we're talking mm -hmm. about this will be resonating you know I have no doubt at all they'll be thinking yeah I'm gonna work for that kind of organization do, do you see any patterns I'm just trying to help them kind of almost help them to broach those first early steps of maybe raising this with the manager or raising this with the team or starting to introduce this to an organization which possibly isn't quite as aware as they might be personally. Mm. Do you see any kind of specific 
roles within larger organizations where this kind of falls on open ears or maybe certain types of individuals who are more likely to be a sponsor for example because you can't do this alone no size organization and larger you're going to really struggle to be banging the drums you need almost to get a, a sort of a team or a group of people around you to have these kind of conversations possibly plus as a more senior in the old paradigm but a more senior sponsor yeah. do you see those kinds of people coming out of any particular department or discipline um in terms of the, the kind of will and energy it could be I mean, it could be literally anywhere in the organization in terms of kind of like um people that are able to almost bring it together a bit more um probably the um I mean, the senior team or if there's a member on the senior team. So I've seen it particularly under the sustainability banner. Um, um, I've seen that work. And, you know, because there's obviously they usually have a real interest in sustainability and what that means. And so they're quite that's quite a good way forward. Um, but also in terms of like um, the kind of organizational development, learning and development, HR world as well, you know, in terms of kind of getting people behind something. Um, yeah, then that could be a good place to have a conversation. But it's not, it's more about, um, we go back to that kind of like system theory um, model that I shared. It's more about kind of, so where are the relationships and how to have the conversations? And what does that look like? And how, you know, how do you get the stuff on someone's radar? And whose radar does it need to be got onto if that's a particular interest that you have? And what kind of conversation can you have? And who else around you? Is, is feeling similarly as well and joining forces that way. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't think there isn't a one size fits all because in my experience, there isn't a one size fits all culture. It's every organization is quite different. Even if they're similar size and similar industry, they all have their own unique way of doing things. So it's figuring that out from your own organization and who's around who you can um, talk to and get support from. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when, when you think back um, about sort of 12 months ago when Mark Carney um, did that famous speech where he said, you know, businesses who aren't sustainable in the widest sense will mm. not be in business in the future. Mm. I think certainly a lot of people are kind of aware that they need to start taking this seriously, even if they're not necessarily supportive of it. Do you, do you think, and it's interesting that you say about learning and development and the sort of the HR function, mm. do you, See this as being a little bit of a sort of an education piece, even dare I say a training piece, so that almost like being, if, if you're again thinking of my listeners here, if they're mm -hmm. quite passionate about trying to introduce this into the organisation, could they maybe take on the role of almost like sort of thought leader, for example, rather than trying to sort of, you know, bash down sort of doors that are firmly shut, could they come in with a, almost an education piece, sharing useful information, sharing statistics, very much, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, organisations who do this stuff are more profitable. There's a lot of research coming out on that now. And actually being almost like the conduit of information, mm. because that will surely build confidence, won't it? And maybe some of the more sceptical people who are hearing this and maybe not believing that what Mark Carney said is going to manifest even in their lifetime. It will. I think I'm always a bit, um, you know, showing the benefits in some ways is always useful, isn't it? And showing, you know, statistics and, and um balanced scorecard stuff is always quite useful but I'm I'm having worked in that environment for such a long time I'm so aware of the pitfalls of it as well and 
I, I believe and what I've seen is what is so much stronger is storytelling. So, you know, really about how do you share stories which really get to the heart. So a lot of my work, I work um, with the three layers of the, the, the head and the heart and the hands and the head is all of the statistics. It's all of the logic. It's all of the cost, the benefits, the analysis. That's all at that layer. And the hands is the doing is actually doing something you know, practically doing something. And the heart layer is about um, me connecting my values to where I work and or just even connecting with someone um, because we share some values. And so stories bring the heart alive and that's the thing which gives us meaning. So it's almost kind of like creating, creating that through storytelling or sharing stories, I think is probably more powerful than the statistics, although you might need to back some of it up with statistics sometimes to kind of, you know, encourage the very hard edged commercial types. Um, but they're so easy to knock down. You know, I put, you know, put statistics up and then someone says, well, I found something that just, you know, says the opposite. So I, but if you're sharing a story about how someone has been impacted in some way, that's just happened. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of creates that empathy as well um, and opens the heart up. Mm. yeah so I use storytelling a lot in my work yeah heart in business I mean that's a really really interesting concept isn't it really and I think a lot of people mm. you know who have been very results driven mm. it's a big big almost sort of you know world in between those two things about being results driven and heart driven you know to yeah. me 100% get it totally see the value of it mm. the probability that you talk about is that just, these are the only ways really that you can create a culture mm. that allows this stuff to thrive but I still see this kind of old paradigm sat there sort of shaking its head saying it'll never work you know and it's it's a challenge isn't it really because it's almost mm. because of us and them it's those who have the vaccine versus those who haven't had the vaccine. It's those mm. who believe in the new world versus those who are trying to go back to normal. And I use yeah. the controversial phrases that everyone's discussing right now. I think we're, we're kind of there, aren't we? We're in this kind of place where, yes, there's people who totally get this heart-driven, you know, sort of empathy sort of led environment that we're trying to get yeah. in. And the ones who are just trying to preserve the status quo, what we've yeah. already had. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard dichotomy really isn't it and I think it's you know we all have to do what um authentically feels right for us and so if um you know we can't we can't change the whole world I think it's about then finding you know the people that are ready and at some point I'm sure there will be a tipping point you know where it's almost like you know, change doesn't happen overnight particularly changing paradigms like that so at some point the old paradigm will become so redundant people just be like what why you know why are you even still there what's you know what I mean it's kind of like so it's about just working and finding the the like intention to want to go on a journey around that with organizations around more parts and, and really exploring with that and trying to help them to bring that alive um I think that's all we can do and just kind of keep trying for that and it, it will happen you know it will definitely happen and people are really calling for it and I've seen such a difference um just in the last four years three or four years in terms of so when I started doing my master's research even using the word compassion in the businesses I was going and talking to about the research was just like whoa 
and we're kind of in, you know, we're kind of in the commercial world here. That's a bit of an odd word. We don't, and even I had, say I don't, we don't really want you to use that word. It's not appropriate to talk to our customers and use that word. And now suddenly things are opening up so much more and I'm getting like people just contacting me out of the blue saying, I hear you do lots of work around compassion. Can you come and talk to us? And it's just, there's been quite a sea change, I think. And I think, um, you know, being in lockdowns and, um, working over Zoom have really accelerated that. You know, we now, we're not in these kind of plush marble offices where everyone's suited and booted. We're sitting in front of a screen. We can see, you know, as part of someone's house. It's a lot more, there's a lot more of a, almost a human connection from that respect, even if physiologically we haven't got the human connection. So, I think that's created it and people are kind of questioning well actually we've just been living the last 14 months needing to show more compassion for each other because what's going on in the world and realizing that's one of the things that is pulling us through and and ensuring that society is holding is held together so we're kind of getting more used to the word and that way of being in our lives and that's tipping over into our work. Mm. And it's interesting when you go back to, to something you said right at the beginning of the conversation, um, that this kind of ripples all the way through to the customer. Mm. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting that customers now in lots of industries with lots of types of products are actually looking at the, the kind of the brand credentials in mm. terms of sourcing products, obviously carbon yeah. footprint, but also yeah. how people and culture kind of impacts on that. Do you see this as being almost for, for lots of organizations now, how they're going to trade with recruitment? So in other words, actually how they'll attract the best talent by actually showcasing who they are. The fact that they're a heart-driven, purpose-led organization becomes something that will attract, again, more of that kind of people to then be able to really almost fuel that culture and those conditions. Do you see this as being something that almost becomes more important than job title? It, yes, and it can. Yes, it does. It really does. So, um, so my time at Triodos Bank as the head of HR there. So there, you know, there were people in my team who did the recruitment, and that was, you know, by far that's what people were interested in. You know, they really got that organisation, and you know, it is amazing. It has an amazing brand. It does amazing things in the world for a bank, and it treats its people really well, and really tries hard to connect them, their hearts to the work and what's happening in the world. And um, people would just literally come, you know, you get people wanting jobs. And, and I know people that have waited years to try and get the right job at Triodos um, because they, they knew what they wanted. They knew they needed to be there and they just had to wait till that role was available or, you know, so it's, you create that and people do want to come. And I, I've also, you know, recently there's been quite a bit in the press around and the media around, um, you know toxic work cultures and you know the big consultancy companies and what it's like to work there and I I've met so many people um who spend two or three years working in that world you know I just did it to get get it on my cv and then then I'm gone I'm not I'm not kind of working with those conditions forever and they lose it they just lose so much talent because they're not necessarily looking after people um that it's it's just a no-brainer. I, I just, I don't understand why more organisations don't just do it. I guess it takes that kind of brave leap just to work in a slightly different way. Um, but once it's out there that that's how you work and what it's like to work there, people just come to you. 
Yeah. So people are listening to this and thinking, you know, actually, it's time I started looking for those kinds of organizations. What you're saying is, yeah, they're already there. They're already doing great yeah. stuff. So yeah. it's about opening your eyes, opening your mind and opening your heart to actually, I need to change industry. I need to change title. I need to change discipline mm. that I do. And I also need to change the organization because they're just not listening here. And I don't think they're going to in the medium mm. term. So I can go and find this elsewhere. And I think what we'll see is there is almost like this migration to these kinds of organizations for these kinds of people. Yeah, there is. Let me see the, the B Corp movement has, you know, phenomenally grown over the last few years. And um, people want that. They want to be recognized for being a great employer, but being a great brand, being a great business, you know, creating great things in the world. So that's, you know, if you want to, a good place to start if people are looking to move roles or organizations is, is look at the B Corp websites and see who's on there see who's on there and you know target those those organizations and because they will be doing this kind of work they might not be perfect but they would certainly be on some kind of journey and have more awareness of it and be doing that work mm, yeah that's great so there's so much opportunity and people just need to have the confidence to take those next steps i guess really mm. yeah, that's brilliant so yeah. if people are listening to this and thinking oh my goodness i need to kind of get in contact with sarah because i, I need to read more about her work and you know i need to may actually maybe get her in for a, a conversation into our organization how do they get in contact with you so um the website is uh, loafspark.com and um, so there's contact details on there or they can email me directly at sarah at loafspark.com brilliant that's really good it's been absolutely fascinating thank you so much uh, for coming on the uh, the show today i'm sure it's been you know really really stimulating and, and confidence building for those who are kind of on the edge of should i broach this subject with my employer um, and also organizations potentially already doing a part of that journey but just need to know where to go next so thank you so much for um, sharing all your insights and wisdom with us today it's an absolute pleasure thank you for having me